Dear sports fans, elevate your game to the next level with a Toyota truck. Drive the crowd favorite Tacoma. This versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend. Choose the tailgating MVP, the Toyota Tundra. This is one vehicle that comes up clutch. Or ride in the adventurous 4Runner, a true champion on and off the road. Whichever truck you choose, you're getting a real winner. Come join the team of champions, Toyota Trucks. Visit toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm Henry Chisholm, and we have a lot to get to today. Uh, f- first of all, I want to talk about the Buffs basketball game Saturday night when they played at Kansas, and things didn't go so well. Uh, we're going to break that down. Um, let's just jump into it. You know, Kansas is a really good basketball team. I think that that was pretty obvious. Um, they also match up well against Colorado. I think that that was also... I mean, I think it was pretty clear going into the game, but then when you saw it on the floor, you're just like, yeah, there's going to be some problems trying to score in the paint when they're just so much bigger than you. Um, and, you know, basketball is moving away from the paint. It's moving toward, like, three-point shooting. That's the most efficient shot. But... Still, everything starts with what you can do in the paint. It's like the trenches in football. You know, that's that's where you get to go bully people around, get easy buckets, and uh, hopefully stop the other team from getting easy buckets. It doesn't matter if you're on shooting or off shooting or any of that kind of stuff when you're just two, three feet from the rim and you can either drop it in or not drop it in. You know, that's that's what the core of basketball has always been and will always be. And when you can't get inside, you can't get into the paint against a team because they have one of the best big men in basketball and Azubike, it's a uh, it's tough it's really tough to win you're you're forced to throw up shots that aren't great shots um Colorado took so many three-pointers and it was it was tough to watch because they weren't falling they weren't typically open um they just didn't really have any other options. You know, if they if they ran their offense, then they were going to wind up getting a shot worse than just trying to take a step to the side, get around a defender, and uh, throw up a three, which is a problem for sure. Um, but that's kind of what 
we expected, I think, going into that game. You know, uh, I think a lot of us kind of held out hope that Colorado could make it a game, keep it tight to the end, all this kind of stuff. But when you just look at how these teams are built on paper, Colorado doesn't have somebody who just naturally fits well as a big man in the paint. You know, Evan Batty is great at what he does. He's he's heavy. He can push guys around. He's kind of a bully down there. And uh, the problem is that he's, what, 6'8", 6'9", and he's going up against a 7-footer. That's tough. You know, Evan is good enough that he can get away with being at a disadvantage height-wise. Um, he, he can he can take on somebody who's two inches taller than him. Once you get into that three inches, four inches range, that's when it's just so tough for anybody to be effective down in the paint. You know, that's, that's why Evan has the limited NBA potential. That's why he's not looked at as a guy like Tyler Bay who can move on just because of his length, because the role that he fills for Colorado is similar to a role that a lot of teams are trying to fill in the NBA. Evan Batty just isn't quite tall enough to do what he does at Colorado at the next level. Um, could be a great international player. Could probably be like a good G League player. I'd be interested. I don't watch enough G League to see how he'd fit in there. But he, it would be very difficult for him to stick in the NBA just because of his game. And he was going up against uh, Azabuki, who's you know, a guy who's going to the NBA. Um, he's just so long, so big, so tall that he just has every advent advantage on Evan, except that Evan is just so skilled. Um, and, and, and that was kind of true consistently throughout the game, whether it was Evan Batty in there, uh, Tyler Bay in there, Dallas Walton, still hasn't quite figured his game out. You know, he's he's who Colorado needs to be that answer. But uh, so far, you just don't see it happening. Um, whether he's coming back from the injury and that's to slow him down, whether he just needs more experience in general, it's not about adjusting to whatever the brace or not having played in forever, whether he just doesn't have it. And like I, I doubt that's the case. I, I think that he's still growing, but whatever's going on, he's he's who Colorado needs to to improve to take that next step. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway so far this season is that Colorado is so good, so talented, um, great defensively, obviously, against teams that don't have this like these the seven footers, these super. You know, these NBA-bound seven-footers, like guys who are just tough to guard for any team, but particularly tough against Colorado. And and that's what's kind of holding Colorado back from being, you know, a, a top 10 team at this point. In my mind, that's that's where I see them struggling. Um, they cut down the turnovers. Yeah, that definitely helps. But just the losing that physical advantage against teams who have a guy like Azubuki is... It, it it's tough to get over and it's tough to get over consistently. Um, that's where Dallas Walton can step in and be that guy. We just haven't seen him do that yet. Um, he's, he's their seven footer. He's long. He can counter that. Like, is he, is he going to go toe to toe with Azubuki and win? Probably not, but he can at least give him more of a fight because of his build, because of his length. Um, 
Evan Batty is great at what he does. And and against most teams, this doesn't even come up. It's so rare. Only the very best schools typically have have a guy like Azubuki who can just shut down anybody who's two inches shorter than them. Um, yeah. I, I, this team is going to be able to beat any any team that's ranked outside of the top 10. Uh, it's just when you get up to those top tier schools that it, it gets really hard. They can't afford to have those turnovers. Tyler Bay needs to be the best player on the floor for either side. Um, those margins for error just become so slim when you play a team like Kansas. And that's what we saw play out on Saturday. It's just that they couldn't quite do enough to keep it in a game, to keep it competitive. You know, with a few minutes left, they were still only down 12, 14, 10, something like that. And you're like, you know what? They, they still could make that run. The problem was they just hadn't given you anything to make you think that they were going to make that run. You know, you weren't thinking like, oh, they're going to get hot from three. They're about to get there. Look at this. They're starting to bully him in the paint. Now they can get a couple buckets and build off of that. Uh, that's, that's the tough part. And, uh, you know, there the holes have been very obvious through the first seven games. The turnovers are a mess. They don't have a a big big man like they have good big men, big men that you can use to win a Pac-12 title. But they don't have like national title big men. Tyler Bay is great, and and he can serve that big man role. But it's the same thing where maybe he can defend a guy who's six eleven, seven feet tall, just because Tyler is that talented, even though he isn't that size but once you get up to that seven footer range that's just really tough to do for anybody um they they kansas was just the better team i think that that is what was so obvious on saturday uh kansas was just better than colorado but they're seven and one and they can the they're still building. It's really easy to write this team off after seeing what a team like Kansas can do to them. But then you have to remember, Kansas is the number two team in the country. They're legitimate national title contenders. And Colorado isn't playing its best basketball. Who knows how much better they have to play to, 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 to beat a team like Kansas, to beat a Louisville, to beat a Duke. But they... They're kind of they're kind of bottoming out right now, in my opinion. Uh, I, I, it's tough to see them playing much worse just because they are struggling to hold in the ball. I mean, those those turnovers, again, especially in the first half, were just constant. It was so. Con- I, I mean, they had what five turnovers in the first five minutes, something like that, and just kind of continued. And eventually, they slowed it down. Only seventeen turnovers. They actually won that margin again. For the sixth time in eight games, Kansas had 21 turnovers. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so 17-21 in turnovers. And Colorado's post- posting the most turnovers per game at like 14.5 in the Pac-12. They were worse than typic- they typically are and still won the turnover matchup. That's how good the defense is. Just need to get that offense clicking. Just need to make it scary. Um get shooters, get guys who can get to the rim, get secondary ball handlers. 
it's <laughs> it's frustrating. I think it's most frustrating because we know how talented all these players are. And, and for me, it's different. And, and I was actually talking to Ryan about this earlier, uh, Ryan Konigsberg, because I haven't gotten to see what this team looks like when things are going well, when everything's clicking. I kind of compare it to the Nuggets where it's the same thing where like uh, my roommate just moved here from Milwaukee and so he didn't really watch the Nuggets all that much. Like he caught a couple games, but he didn't see what they were last year when everything was clicking and all the passing was just like beautiful and the offense was one of the most efficient. And and now he comes in and sees what the Nuggets offense is doing this year and it's just absolutely nothing. It's one of the worst in the NBA and you can't figure out why because everybody's back. And I, I think that's kind of what I'm going through with this Buffs team where I've heard about how great they can be and I've gone back and watched some of it so that I can like have an idea what that looks like. But I haven't actually been able to see it with my own eyes, see it play out in real game situations in front of me. And I can start to see, though, how all these pieces could fit together. When you have a guy like McKinley Wright, who's a good score-first point guard, like he should be the creator, he should be trying to get to the rim, feeding off to Tyler for, you know dunks all that kind of stuff like have him as the best like you have Evan Batty in the post who can be facilitating but they just haven't gotten the right balance they haven't gotten the spacing right and it just seems like they're on top of each other and sometimes it seems like they aren't moving and then sometimes they look like they're moving too fast and it's causing turnovers and it's just all these problems that they just aren't getting all of the dials turned to the right level like how much do you cut how often do you look for your own shot? Um, sh- how many threes are we trying to take? How open does a three have to be? I mean, how many post-ups do we want with Tyler or with Evan or all these guys? And all those all those things just keep getting tweaked back and forth and back and forth, and they haven't quite found the combination that they had late last season. And it's going to come. I'm still confident in that. It's just frustrating to watch knowing that they haven't been able to do it yet. Um, I think that that's just what's missing. You remember, though, they're 7-1 and one with a loss to one of the best teams in the entire country. And, you know, they, they were down early. I mean, they were down, what, 14, 12, something like that, five minutes into this game, then held that margin all the way through. They just can't afford against a good team to get off to that slow start. And who knows how things play out if that doesn't happen. It's just so close. I, I really thought that they could give a, a little bit better run to Kansas than they did. Um, and that's what's frustrating. You know, turnovers are a problem. The shooting on I mean, three-pointers, seven of 34. Ugh. It's, and, and then you look at what Kansas did. They aren't even taking threes. They're just able to get inside, get to the rim whenever they want. Because they are very talented. That Azubuki, six of seven. He was 0-4 from the free throw line. I didn't realize that. But but yeah, six of seven from the field. Those are all just shots right inside, right in the paint, wherever they got in the ball. You just don't have an answer for that. And on the other end, you don't have an answer for beating him. And Tyler Bay is close to being that kind of player. It's just a lot tougher to do when one of your skills isn't being seven feet tall. You know, that just makes everything else so much easier. If, if Tyler's seven feet tall, then all, obviously he'd be dominating college basketball. He'd be dominating pro basketball. There's no way he was coming back to Colorado if that was the case. But he just can't 
quite he's so close he's so close he'll go on those runs with the blocks where you see what he can do he's getting up in the air but then against Kansas you know it, it wasn't his best night he only put up five points he didn't have any blocks um again that's just a tough matchup for Colorado and I think tougher than a lot of the top five teams would be um but again those are the teams that are going to have that size that forces Colorado to uh to look elsewhere to not score in the paint and as as much as I think that the three-point shooting has improved like Tyler can take three-pointers he can make three-pointers the one he took on Saturday wasn't my favorite but uh you know McKinley Wright, he can take some, but again, not necessarily his strength. The The guys who you really want running everything out on the floor aren't three-point guys. And so if you aren't able to get to the paint, which is what they want to do, Evan Batty wants to score in the paint. McKinley Wright wants to drive to the rim. Tyler Bay wants to be dunking. You know, that's, that's what your team is built on. When the other team just has a seven-footer, a very talented seven-footer that they can throw inside... All of a sudden, you're asking your next tier of players to take over the game by knocking down three-point shots. And obviously, you want Bay and McKinley and all them to be doing that too, but they aren't they aren't three-point shooters. That's not who they are. Um, tough matchup, tough game. Uh, I wish that they could have given Kansas a better run. I think that late in the season, once Colorado... Uh, has an identity then maybe they can right now though with the way Colorado's been playing it's not a surprise to see that they lost 72 58 to the number two team in the country that's not all that bad either um I think raking should be coming out here soon we'll see what this does to Colorado um they were 20th I could see them anywhere from 21st or 22nd all the way down to being one of the first few teams out of the rankings depending on how the voters took this game um it's, I, I doubt the fall is that big just because kansas is so good uh, now colorado will host northern iowa tuesday night which will be a pretty big game uh, northern iowa recently has been in the tournament pretty consistently i believe um good team a team that colorado should beat though um, we'll see if there's some hangover from this loss. Um, then Friday they go up to Fort Collins in what should be, I think that could be a surprisingly good game. Um, maybe that's not surprising to you guys. Uh, Colorado State is not as good as Colorado, but again, they're at home. It's a rivalry. Anything can happen. Um, I think that's most of it. 20% from three, 30% field goal shooting. Um, just got to do better. That's you got to knock down the shots. You got to get better looks. Defense holding Kansas seventy-two, like not not great. But if the game had gone differently, if Colorado was in it, things might tighten up a little bit. Uh, it's frustrating. It's it's definitely a frustrating time for Buffs basketball. I do think that as soon as they find their identity, they'll be good. Um, it just hasn't been established. What are they? They almost got too excited about the three-point shooting and want, and want to becoming like a flashy shooting offense when that's they're, they're downhill players. McKinley Wright's a downhill player. Tyler Bay's a downhill player. Then Evan Batty's kind of the foil to all that, but again, he's a big guy. 
he's he's trying to use post moves. He's trying to do stuff inside still, even if he isn't just a put your head down and get to the rim type of guy. That's your identity. And I think that they've been too eager to try to get the ball outside, to try to change their identity because they, they, they do have the shooters that they could make that work. And we've seen nights where the three-point shooting's on and it's looked great, but that needs to be secondary. That needs to be building off dominance in the paint. And they just weren't anywhere near close to establishing that against Kansas. So those are most of my thoughts. That was a little bit jumbled, all of it, but that's kind of where I am coming away from the Kansas game. I still think they have a great shot winning the Pac-12 title. I think that this game was, I mean, it was about what I expected. I think it's pretty much what I said on the podcast where if you can keep it close, then that counts as a win. And somewhere in this range, I can't remember what I said, but in that 10, I think I said 10 to 12 range, you're still feeling pretty good. Then 15 or more, you're like, eh. But uh, you know what? They're, they're a good basketball team. They're going to get better. Um, they're, how many teams in the Pac-12 would have lost by 20 to Kansas? And that's what you have to remember. Um, notch a couple more wins. Get out of this month. Um, I, I think they could still do it with one loss. That Dayton game is going to be huge. But uh, go into conference play with maybe the best record if things continue the way they're going. Okay. Uh, I want to tell you now about uh, Breckenridge Brewery because I really like Breckenridge Brewery. And uh, they're awesome partners and we love supporting them because they support us. Um, they're the reason I get to do all the things that I get to do, and they deserve all the hype for what they do, which is make really great beer. Um, Christmas ale is great this time of year. Um, Strawberry Sky, the Avalanche. There's so many great beers. You've heard me talk about them all. What really impresses me, though, is how much they care about being local and being a Colorado beer. You know, everything from making the United in Orange, their Broncos-inspired beer, their Broncos-flavored beer. Not Broncos-flavored. It doesn't taste like Broncos. It tastes like blood orange. But uh, it's like Broncos-themed. You know, it's, it's that kind of stuff everywhere you go, um, everywhere you see Breckenridge, where you can just tell that they're Colorado. And they're, they're like a Colorado success story, too. You know, they started locally and then they were bought out by a bigger company, which meant that they had more resources to do all of the things that they want to do to experiment more with their beers, to try to make a hundred different types of beer and then pick their three or four favorites and actually produce those. Their, their new facilities are massive. And even though they did get the national funding, it's still all the same people running it. And they're still headquartered in Littleton. Uh, it's pretty cool to see what they've built. And uh, it's all based on just making a really good product. Um, definitely check them out. Use the beer locator on their app or on their website. And it will uh, it will tell you where you can get whatever beer you want to try. I suggest the Christmas ale for this time of year. Um, it's one of my very favorites, but also the Strawberry Sky is just a classic and you can never go wrong when uh, that's your choice. So definitely try Breckenridge beers and uh, 
let us know what you think because everybody I've heard has said that they love them. Okay. Um, next up, uh, I want to tell you about another local business and that is Denver Rubber Company. It's the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. It's been around since 1972, and ever since then, it's provided the best quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing and custom hoses. Guess what? Snow is coming, and might even be here. It kind of keeps going back and forth between being here and being on the way. You have to go to Denver Rubber Company um, and they can get everything you need to get all set up with like a new snow plow so that you can make sure that you can drive around and get rid of the snow from the places you don't want there to be snow. Um, they, they can cut to size, pre-slot, most snow plow rubber. Uh, the blades can be cut to any length. They can be slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We checked this place out a few weeks ago and it was incredible. Uh, they've created so many different proprietary materials that make up the inside of wind turbine blades. We even watched them uh, make the machines that cut the material that you use in bulletproof vests, which is kind of crazy because like, if it can stop a bullet, it should be able to stop whatever you're trying to cut it with. You know, um, It's all cool stuff. Uh, they custom make all of it and... If it's not exactly what you want, they can make one specifically for you to fit whatever you need. Anything made of rubber, all different sorts of rubber. Um, they're family owned. They're loyal to all of us. And uh, you should call them today if you need like snowplow stuff, gaskets, hoses, any of that. 1-800-259-0010. Or you can go to drcfirst.com slash dnvr. Okay. Um... Next up, I want to talk about some football stuff. And uh, let's see, when was this? This would have been Sunday, maybe? Or it must have been Sunday. Uh, yeah, that uh, Colorado, the, the football program had its football awards. So they, they're actually a whole bunch of awards. I didn't realize they give out this many awards. And they like give out their letters. It's like their end-of-the-season banquet. Um, MVP, as you might guess, is LaVisca Chenault. You know, that's kind of actually a more interesting selection than it was in the past. He won it last year as well, just because he didn't play all that much. And so, like, is is LaVisca Chenault in nine games, or let's, let's just call it like eight games because he, like, half-played so many games. Um, is LaVisca Chenault in eight games more valuable than somebody who was on the field every snap for 12 games. I don't know. Fun debate. Uh, the team went with Visca, which I think is fair because as you run through this roster, there aren't many MVP candidates. Um, you, you look at quarterback because that's typically where an award like this would go. Most influential player, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it works in quarterback's favor. The quarterback, Steven Montez, had a really up and down year. Um, he wasn't their most valuable player just because he kind of, uh, he, he had some bad games and may have even cost his team some games. Um, he looked really good when he played well, but the bad, the bad, I don't know. The bad doesn't cancel out the good, but 
when you're in the talking about the MVP race, it definitely cancels out too much of the good for him to win that award. Uh, you look at running back, I think Alex Fontenot actually could have been considered for this one. I think that uh, he was very consistent throughout the year. Uh, so many good games. I think that he improved throughout the season as well. Um, even though he did start with a huge game against Colorado State. I think you could argue that he was more valuable to this team than Visca. Um, you take Visca off this year, what changes? Um, definitely a lot of things, but is it as much as if you take Alex Fontenot off this team and throw Mangum and Deion Smith out there? I don't know. Uh, I think that that could be debated for sure. I'd still probably take Visca, but I don't know. Uh, Arlington Hambright, Tim Lenott would be in that conversation. Uh, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'm going to pause all that talk for a second. Uh, I wrote a story about the quarterbacks today, which I probably should have plugged earlier, actually. Um, all, the, all the different ways that the quarterback race could go, who could end up being the guy this season uh, for Colorado. And one guy who I really singled out was Jake Bentley, the quarterback from South Carolina, set a bunch of records, uh, but got hurt this year in his senior year. And... Uh, Ended up, you know, it would have been a battle for the starting job next year. He was kind of getting some NFL hype before this season. So really good player, graduated, so he's eligible to play right away as a grad transfer. I thought that he was a target for Colorado and uh, included him in my story. I actually gave him like 100, 200 words, something like that. And uh, what, two hours after I post it, uh, he ends up going to Utah. So that was relevant for a minute. Um, shout out Ryan Konigsberg for texting me that while I'm recording this podcast. Um, well, that's too bad. I, I thought that he'd be a good fit. It, but, but it did kind of prove my point in that story that it's hard to land these grad transfer quarterbacks. Um, you, you, you never really know what the fit's going to be like. Like You have to convince them that you're their best option because there are a lot of schools who'd like a grad transfer. And that's actually why I ended up saying... I think Brendan Lewis is still the most likely option just because as, as badly as they want to find a grad transfer quarterback, it's not going to be easy. Um, that was a little side note. Uh, running through the other MVP candidates, though, um, offensive linemen, it's really tough to give them to because even if one offensive lineman does his job, if one of the other four doesn't, then it's just like that guy didn't either. You know, you're so dependent on everybody else. Um, it's, it's more, it's more, it's not as much of a like plus player position as much as it's a don't be a minus. And, and that's a really tough place to win an MVP. You go tight end. Brady Russell played really well, not MVP a caliber season though. Uh, I am excited to see him going forward. Uh, receivers, um, outside of Visca, you have KD who had a disappointing year, Tony Brown, who kind of cooled off late, but I think he could have given, Visco run for his money. Um, and then defensively, let's start with the defensive line. Mustafa missed a few games. Uh, Terrence Lang came on pretty late. Jalen Sami also kind of developed throughout the season. Again, similar to the offensive line, a nose tackle typically doesn't put himself in too many situations where he's like getting sacks, getting tackles for loss. That's not really what you do. You just want to hold your ground there, fill those A-gaps up, which he did well. Not really an MVP-type thing, though. You have to be really good to win it as a nose tackle. Um, 
Linebackers, Nate Landman, pretty tough season. Improved these last couple weeks. Uh, outside, or I guess uh, John Van Deest played pretty pretty well early in the season when he was a starter. Akil Jones came in and then really found his footing late. Um, but again, those two split time. So you can't. I mean, if we're knocking Visca, you got to knock them too. And Visca's Visca. Uh, outside linebacker. Alex Changham was good. Carson Wells late made a couple plays. I don't think either of them can compete. Uh, cornerback uh, Delrick. Mm. Delrick could be an interesting one. Um, I think he could have had an argument just because he was so consistently back there playing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I still think you give it to Visca, but... He Delrick might be top five. Um, let's call Davion Taylor a linebacker too and jump back with the linebackers. He's another one who played really well, particularly late. I think he's another one who's top five. Um, don't think he can compete with Visca because just like a lot of these guys, especially on the defense, it took a while for them to get going. Um, back to the cornerbacks though. Uh, Chris Mil- Miller, Makai Blackman uh, didn't play nearly enough. Um Tariq Luckett, KJ Trujillo also really didn't play enough because they didn't come in until a few weeks into the season. And KJ played well, but again, what, for half the games? Um, not MVP. Safeties. Uh, Mikhail Onu, I think you could make a case. I think he's another one of these top five type guys, but he blew assignments just like a lot of people did um, later in the season. Definitely tightened things up. Also forced a whole bunch of fumbles pick passes off early in the season, which kind of counteract the mistakes he made. Um, I think he's another guy who you put top five. Um, Darian Rakestraw split time with Aaron Maddox over the course of the season, so don't think either of them probably get it. Uh, Mark Perry played well as a young guy, also didn't get all that many reps early. Um, could see him winning in the future, not this year. Um so I think I think that's kind of where we stand. I I think Visca at first kind of shocked me, not because I didn't think he was talented enough, but because you know he he didn't play a whole bunch. He wasn't a factor in a few of those games. Um, but I think he's got to be number one. I think Davion Taylor. I think Mikhail Onu, Delrick Abrams, uh, maybe even Mustafa, uh, and then Alex Fontenot. I think those would be my top five. It's tough not to put Steven up there, but, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that that's pretty good. I think those are probably my rankings. If, if you guys have any thoughts, I'd love to hear that because uh, it's kind of tough to go through, like, MVP for one team instead of, like, across the league where there are going to be, like, only a few people who are really good and also play every game and play them all consistently – when there are, when there are holes in everybody's game, it's it's a different conversation. You really have to figure out how you want to weigh things. Okay, um, running through some other awards. Um, I'm not sure how many we're gonna hit, but uh, some of them seem important. Team captains. Uh, so you'll remember Mel Tucker didn't name team captains for this season. Uh, he said that he would for the 2020 season but didn't like have a good enough feel for the program. I think something like that was his reasoning for 
why he didn't know. Like you, you got to pick guys, and he hadn't been around long enough to pick guys. Um, was my 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 understanding. But after the season, because uh, especially when you're like trying to go the NFL, teams want to know like, were you a team captain? That looks really good. You remember the Broncos a couple years ago had the ten draft picks, and like nine of the ten were team captains at some point, and it was this whole big thing. Um, so they decided to have the players vote after the season for who they thought should be the captains, should be considered the captains in hindsight for the season, um, which I thought was kind of weird because usually like captain's a role. Like now you, your job is to be the captain um, and they're obviously like done now and so it means kind of nothing, but uh, it is good to recognize them, I guess. So that's why it's more of like an award than a, I don't know. It's interesting. I, th- I like that they did it though. Um, picked four, Alex Kinney, the punter, makes sense. Um, then they had uh, Nate Landman, I think that makes sense. Uh, Steven Montez, yep, and Davion Taylor. I think that those all make a lot of sense. I think that Mikhail Onu probably could have slipped in there. Um, I think that KD or Visca, I almost think that like KD and Visca might have split the vote. I think that they are both like a very specific kind of captain. I think that they had a lot of support. I think, you know, uh, like KD won some awards later on that make you think like, oh yeah, he was like a loud, he, he was a leader type thing. Where is that? It's kind of tough to scroll through there. So many awards. Um, KD Nixon. Oh, outstanding team leadership. The Eddie Crowder award. There's an offense and defense. KD won for offense outside linebacker. Davion Taylor won for defense. Um, so like that kind of stuff makes you think that maybe Visca and KD split that vote. Visca because he's, you know, the MVP and also a leader on the team. Um, but KD mostly because he is so loud, such like a presence. Um, I don't know. It's interesting to speculate. That's for sure. Uh, the Relentless Award, who exemplifies the traits program held to. Brady Russell, I think that makes sense. Uh, Zach Jordan Award is the MVP award for Visca. The John Mack Award, outstanding offensive player, quarterback Steven Montez. So that's interesting because that must be like the runner-up. So like you can't win the MVP and the outstanding offensive player. So that must mean Steven was the runner-up for MVP. Um, not Alex Fontenot. I think that, that makes sense. Like he's the quarterback. He was your leader all year. Um, yeah. It's tough to argue with putting a quarterback in any of those types of spots. Uh, Dave Jones Award, outstanding defensive player, goes to Nate Landman. That kind of surprises me. Uh, He came on late, like I said, but Davion Taylor also came on late and I think played better. Uh, Kale Onu had like the picks. Um, I don't know. I, I do think that Nate will win that award next year and will pretty easily deserve that award um, based on the progression we've seen from him throughout the season. But I bet that that was a pretty tight conversation. Uh, The Bill McCartney Award, special teams achievement, uh, split between Bo Bisharat and Alex Kinney. Makes sense. Uh, Lee Willard Award, outstanding freshman, split between Jaron Mangum and KJ Trujillo. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, most improved award for offense, Alex Fontenot. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think you could make a case for uh, Tony Brown. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's probably a good call. Most improved for defense, 
Akil Jones. Um, yep. I actually mentioned that earlier. He really did improve throughout the course of the season. Um, I honestly think you could give that to Nate too, just because he did look so much better. Davion Taylor. Davion Taylor could also have won that one. Um, or Mark Perry. Uh, there were some options. There were some options. Um, most improved award for special teams is Jalen Jackson. Yeah. I think that's tougher. Not going to lie. I don't like go back and like analyze all that type of film nearly as much as the rest. But I will say that Jalen Jackson was very good on special teams. He was out there. I mean, he forced that big fumble against Utah. They didn't recover it, but I'm not going to argue with that pick at all. Uh, offensive scout player of the year, uh, Austin Johnson, the offensive lineman who I know they're high on, uh, and he tied with quarterback Matt Ryan. Interesting, an, a name to know. Looking forward, I guess. Uh, defensive scout players of the year, outside linebacker Alec Pell, safety Ryan Travis. I mean, that's kind of what all this is. It's like, oh, okay. They're they're saying these are guys that we should be keeping an eye on. Austin Johnson, Matt Ryan, Alec Pell, Ryan Travis. Those are the names to remember. Uh, special teams scout players of the year, Clayton Baca and Alex Smith, the wide rec- both wide receivers. Um, huh. I don't know much about them. I'm definitely going to have to look them up. Uh, Dean Jacob Van Eck Award for Academic Excellence. Uh, Tim Lenat makes sense. Uh, Derek Singleton Award for Spirit, Dedication, and Enthusiasm. Lucas Cooper and Numoto Falu. Oh, no, Numoto, Numoto Falu. I've been so good at saying his name all year, and I screw it up now. Um, yeah, I think those make sense. Um, Tyrone Tiger Busey Award. I don't know his name. I should learn that. Um, inspiration in the face of physical adversity. Uh, defensive tackle Jalen Sami. I think that that's definitely a good call. Uh, boy, has he been through a lot. And he played really well. Uh, the Tom McMahon Award. Dedication and work ethic. Uh, Delrick Abrams, Tony Brown, Mikhail Onu. Yeah, seniors who are that kind of guy. Uh, Eddie Crowder Award for Outstanding Team Leadership. Katie Nixon, Davion Taylor mentioned that one earlier. Uh, the Trench Award goes to Arlington Hambright and William Sherman on offense, not Tim Lenott. Uh Interesting. Uh, defensive Trench Award, Mustafa Johnson, Terrence Lang. Yeah. Um, best interview is Steven Montez. Yeah, I think that that's a good call. Uh, I, McHale's right in there, but uh, Steven... He always had something to say. He had like the joke. He's he's very uh, clean in how he approaches the media. It's a very NFL type of vibe that he gives off. You know, you know, like he's a typical quarterback. Like he's up there, he's cracking dad jokes, like that kind of stuff. But also sticking to the like QB talk, like the coach talk sort of. But that's a little bit different for quarterbacks. Uh, he has that down. I think this is. I forgot about this. I think I said this early in the season, like a week or two in, where I was like, I don't know if Steven Montez is an NFL quarterback, but he definitely knows how to talk like one. Uh, again, Mikhail Onu. I've said this a lot, but he's a guy who I've always enjoyed talking to. Um, smart guy, interesting insights, very open. Um, Buffalo Heart Award, selected by the fans, Tim Lenott. That was already like announced, but yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so here's something I'd really like to do, and that's go through all these awards and name the losers. Like like the worst interview, uh, the, the least improved, who shouldn't be team captain. I think that would be a lot of fun, but also just seems like a way to burn a whole bunch of bridges. Um, 
I don't know. I'm probably going to like fall asleep thinking about that tonight. Uh, I, I, I think that's it for the awards. If you guys have any takes, I don't know. I think it's really interesting because this just gives you a, an idea of what Mel Tucker's perspective on the season was and the coaching staff's perspective on the season. Who impressed them, who didn't. Um, the scout team players typically go on to be important players. And uh, not going to lie, those were some names that surprised me. Um, particularly, uh, I guess, the special teams, those receivers. But I don't know. It's weird that it's over. It's weird that it's over. Uh before oh wait actually do i get to talk to you no i don't get to talk to you um ryan's gonna tell you about my favorite place on earth right now what's up guys ryan konigsberg here and i gotta tell you about the blake street tavern it's my favorite sports bar in town as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there it's where i watched super bowl 48 it's where i watched cu win a pac-12 basketball championship back in the day uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Okay. Uh, love Blake Street Tavern. As I've said before, that's where we went for the Kansas game. Hung out with a couple of DNVR Buffs listeners, uh, Silver Buff and Michael Harrison. Um, that was a blast. Uh, yeah. I'll probably be back there tonight, actually. I'm headed out to the Avs game, see him beat down the Calgary Flames now that Landy's back. Uh, really excited about that. Uh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of sports. That tonight, and then tomorrow, Buffs basketball takes on Northern Iowa. Wednesday's an off night. Thursday, Thursday I'm going to the Nuggets-Blazers game. Friday, the Buffs are in Fort Collins to play CSU. Saturday, there might not much be much going on. I don't know. Lots of sports. Sports everywhere. They're my favorite thing. Uh, I do think we got a comment today. Let's jump into that. I forgot to pull up again. From, ooh, STR1BS. Stribs. Make that one an I. Stribes. I don't know. STR1BS. Uh, let's see. What do you say? He said, is it rough knowing that no matter how good the Grizz are, that they'll run into the buzzsaw that is NDSU? no I don't I don't know I don't know I think actually let's just jump back real quick for those of you who who didn't watch the Montana Grizzlies play Southeast Louisiana first of all what were you doing with your lives on championship Saturday missing out on that classic um Montana won as you'd think that they probably should against Southeast Louisiana put up 73 points on them uh, Samori Toure has gotten a bunch of ESPN attention. The Grizz receiver, he is so much fun. But uh, he put up 303 receiving yards with a few touchdowns. Um, broke Randy Moss's uh, FCS playoff receiving record, um, like single game. It was a blast. Uh, NDSU, famously North Dakota State University, where Carson Wentz is from and a whole bunch of other really good football players, uh, they win the championship pretty much every year. Here's the thing about 
Grizz fans. So now they're down to eight. It's a tough, tough run. You know, they have Weber State up next. That's a game they could lose. Then they uh, play James Madison. That's a game that they should lose. And North Coast State is definitely a game they should lose. Um, It's tough, but I think that Grizz fans may be just a tiny bit more confident than they should be in their football teams i think that stems from like the 90s early 2000s when they were just dominant like they're going to national championships they're winning national championships they were really good they were like a dynasty and things have kind of fallen off but we still think of ourselves as like the alabama of the northwest which is a joke we're making a lot but kind of buying into it like the alabama fcs northwest i don't know i don't know but because we see ourselves that way, it you go into every game thinking like, oh, we can beat them. We're Montana. North Coast State, what do they even do out there? Like just sit in the field all day? I don't know. Um, the answer is I, I, I wouldn't bet on them to win, but you can see it happening. It takes one football game. Dalton Sneed is so good. The quarterback, Samori Toure, obviously. Dante Olsen, best defensive player in the FCS country. And uh, he's going to be a stud in the NFL. College football playoffs are just so much fun, and you guys are missing out. And I feel so bad for you, and I want this to be a thing. You know, NDSU, sure, yeah, they're probably going to win. You know what? I guess FBS doesn't have a total dominant team like that right now. Alabama a couple years ago was. Clemson kind of snuck in there. Um then right now it's a little more open than it's been with Ohio State and LSU and maybe Clemson competing. Um, but it's about the same level of imbalance in FBS as it is FCS. You'd see the top team maybe... It, there's usually like one really good team and then another team that's like joining them that kind of rotates. Uh, it's been NDSU for the last five or six years, probably about the same time as the Alabama dynasty. Um, with James Madison rotating. I think they've won one of those titles. Uh, Eastern Washington giving him a challenge. Um, and then hopefully next up is Montana. But I just love playoff football, and we need more of it. Actually, Championship Saturday was a lot of fun. Um, this is the first time that I've really closely followed the FBS season and then followed uh, like the conference championships. And it is... It is really meaningful, which is nice. Um, there were so many of those games that had college football playoff implications. Um, the, these games were deciding who's going to get in there. I still would like to see just like an eight-team playoff instead of all these teams saying, well, if we win, then we'll probably get in. But if we only win by a little and this other team wins by a lot, they might get our spot. You know, I just would love to make it super clear at this point in the season who's in and who's out and let them play like that instead of playing, you know, Wisconsin or like Oklahoma trying to beat Baylor by enough to offset. I guess if Utah had won, Utah winning by a little, you know, like all these different scenarios where instead you could just say, hey, here's how we decide which of these two teams is the best. Instead of comparing them against two different teams, we just let them play each other. Uh, that'd be fun for me, especially because like, you just want home playoffs. Like the, the home atmosphere is what makes playoff games. You know, when you, when you think back to the NBA playoffs, even like you think 
all the all these fans they're wearing the exact same color shirt and it's like super hostile same thing in the nfl you have like the bills fans that one time they made the playoffs like breaking all the stuff like they do and like that's that's where all these cultures come from is like the playoffs when they are more themselves than they ever are uh it's so much fun it's so much fun um that's just missing and it makes it feel like you're just playing in some generic like let's throw these kids down in Georgia for the peach bowl and have them play there. It's like, why, why are you having them play where people are going to be less into it when you aren't going to have this entire city just out of their minds, excited about this football game. Just imagine like Boulder before a playoff football game. It just be insane for a week. Um, then, then you get like other schools, like who's actually in there, Ohio state or, Clemson those places just turn into parties for so long I don't know that's what football is supposed to be about not about just taking them out to some random city random stadium throwing a third of the stadium is fans of one team a third is the fans of another and then a third is just random people who like football and all of those people are super rich they aren't the kind of people not all of them but most of them are very wealthy they aren't the crazy diehards who you know it's it's just a very different vibe at those games than it's supposed to be for games they're that meaningful um and like they're still fun and there's still a lot of energy but it should there should be nothing that compares to that like the college football energy combined with the playoff environment is just incredible um I'm going to keep making this point for another month. Okay. Uh, I think that's it for today. If you guys have comments or questions, leave them in the comment section and I'll read them tomorrow, Tuesday for the podcast and break them down, answer your questions. If you have anything you want to talk about, whether it's uh, the women, Buffs women's basketball team, we're actually going to have to dig into that tomorrow. I've been meaning to for so long, but they are off to a very hot start and they aren't playing a whole bunch of like super talented teams but you either win or you don't. And so far they've been winning, which is pretty cool. Um, all right. Uh, that's it for today. Like I said, leave your questions. If you want to read my thoughts on the quarterbacks, it's not all about the guy who already decided that he isn't going to Colorado. Uh, thanks for doing that three hours after I post this story. That's really cool of you, Jake Bentley. But, uh, talked about my thoughts on starting Brendan Lewis, uh, Tyler Lytle, Blake Stenstrom, um, what the approach to a grad transfer quarterback will likely be. Uh, that's all on there. And I give you percentages for all of them, how I think it'll shake out. Um, appreciate you all for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway. And see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we station, patiently awaiting. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes.
lies. I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey, hey. You on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you. You can get it anytime. Yeah. It started at the scrimmage. We gon' win it at the line. Yeah. I call a bottle swag in the middle of the ring. Dear sports fans, elevate your game to the next level with a Toyota truck. Drive the crowd favorite Tacoma. This versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend. Choose the tailgating MVP, the Toyota Tundra. This is one vehicle that comes up clutch. Or ride in the adventurous 4Runner, a true champion on and off the road. Whichever truck you choose, you're getting a real winner. Come join the team of champions, Toyota Trucks. Visit Toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places.